0: Saturday morning. My alarm went off, seemingly much too early for how little sleep I had gotten the night before. It was the first official day the Imperial Commissary Collector's Convention, also known as the ICCC, would be open to the general public. It was also my last day in Franklin, Tennessee. And after three consecutive weekends of traveling to meetups and shows in three different states across three very different parts of the country, I was ready to get back home and to finally rest but not just yet. I shook myself awake, jumped out of bed, and headed for the shower. After all, I had almost 24 hours to enjoy whatever was waiting for me on the other side of that hotel door first. Further adventures with Kyle, Anthony, and Matt. The chance to spend time with Trent and Corey not too far from where they lived. To see Justin and the Georgia Group, and all of the friends, way too many to even list here, that we've made along the way as Star Wars collectors. And we do it all in the Williamson County Agricultural Expo Park, at a convention our friend Mike created. So throw on a Star Wars shirt and a pair of shorts, make sure you bring a backpack and your wallet with you, and don't forget your entry badge. This is the last day in warm, wonderful Tennessee. This is the end of the second annual ICCC weekend for me. And this is Star Wars Prototypes and Production.
1: force and become a jedi like my father the force will be with you always
0: once matt arrived at our hotel he and kyle headed over to the venue a little earlier in order to put the finishing touches on his table attendees who purchased vip badges were granted an early entry at 9 a.m and matt and kyle wanted to be ready anthony and i stayed back at the hotel and had breakfast in the lobby. We sat at a long table with some of our friends, and I had the opportunity to spend some time with Dan Loiselle and Jonathan Robinson. Jonathan and I had met the night before at room sales, and the morning gave us a chance to sit and talk over breakfast, and in a much quieter environment. As families moved around us looking for places to sit, and carrying plates filled with pastries, eggs, and assorted fruits, the four of us talked about collecting, and about our time in Nashville up to that point. None of them knew one another, and it was really nice to watch friendships form over the course of the conversation. When we were finished, Anthony and I left the hotel and drove over to the venue. The heat of the morning was merely a taste of what was to come for the afternoon, but I was thankful it wasn't humid. It was one of those summer mornings from childhood in which you felt a little more awake and a little more alive. We arrived before the doors opened to the VIP attendees. Since this was Anthony's first time back to ICCC in a year, I told him to walk around and to check the venue out, and I headed to Matt's table to help him and Kyle finish setting up. I filled a flat display case with modern Star Wars prototypes, like a Power of the Force II Gamorrean Guard and a handful of Episode I first shot figures that were in all the same colors. Kyle conferred with Matt on prices for various items around the booth and wrote each price on it on a post-it. Matt attended to a larger display case that held some original wax sculpts and hard copies of figures from a variety of toy lines. At some point, the area around us began to bustle with noise, and I looked up to see a line of what appeared to be high school students, instruments in hand, heading up the stairs to the main level. They traveled in a single file, like our Tuscan Raider friends, and they were bubbling with energy. I had no prior context as to why they were there and where they were heading. They disappeared out the door, and someone motioned over to me and said, You might want to come outside to see this. I stepped back out into the heat of the early morning to see the students setting up at the corner of the building. There was a line of early attendees waiting for the doors to open that traveled back toward the parking lot. Mike was standing at the entrance gate in a pair of shorts and a collared short-sleeved shirt he had tailored from the vintage Star Wars bedsheets. The shirt came out great and was something that fit in perfectly with a convention like this. It was nice to see my friend happy and excited, especially after the months of hard work he put into preparing and building ICCC. He greeted the line of guests with an opening speech, welcoming them to the ICCC. You
2: see me? And I love how the line is so much longer than last year. Oh, doing something right! You guys are gonna come in here. You're gonna see some amazing things. You're gonna see some wonderful panels. We have James Arnold Taylor tomorrow doing his live comedy show. It's gonna be out of control. So I love you all for showing up. I love you for all for supporting ICCC. I love you all for being down here in Nashville, Tennessee. And I'm gonna cut this thing, and we're gonna go in there, and we're gonna check out the future of conventions. Thank you for being here. Come on in!
0: I returned inside and made my way over to the Georgia Star Wars Collector's Alliance booth. Mike had given out free tables to any collector clubs from any state who wished to promote their club and generate interest in the activities, fundraisers, and meetups they hold. Club tables are meaningful assets in growing the hobby, because many of the collectors who attend an event like this are looking to get plugged in and want to connect with a local group whose members share the same interest and passion they possess for the Star Wars films and toys. And many collectors aren't aware that groups like this exist in states around the country, and in many other countries. So the club tables helped to open conversations that could lead to members, which I guarantee you will lead to wonderful experiences within our hobby. At this point, Justin Haney, Jason T.K. Sparrow Kane, and Glenn Williams were manning the Georgia club table, and it was great to see them again after spending time with them the night before at the Baileys' home. They had constructed a carnival wheel as a fundraiser, and I wanted to play and to help out. The Georgia group had donated a number of modern carded Star Wars figures as prizes, and they were also handing out buttons and patches as well. As I spun the wheel, a gentleman approached the Georgia table with his young son and daughter. I was determined to win something special for each of them. Yeah, yeah rolling again. Oh,
3: well, you're an LSU fan. Oh, awesome. Thank you,
0: sir. Free ticket. An extra ticket. An extra you're ticket. Out. I thought you were recording them. I am. I'm, oh no no! I'm I'm, I'm audio recording. So, oh okay. Yeah. So explain to us. Actually, explain to us who you are and what, what this is and all that. Fun stuff.
3: Hey, we're, I'm Glenn with the uh, Georgia Alliance of Star Wars Collectors. We are doing a raffle for Children's Healthcare of Atlanta. All the proceeds are going towards that. Uh, we've got a really awesome set of prizes that have been donated by some great people. And when you buy a raffle pri- when you buy a raffle ticket, you get to spin our prize wheel, and then you get a, a secondary prize. So uh, everybody's winning everybody walks away happy to
0: oh, oh, okay I'm gonna
3: spin again here oh do you want to spin no please spin I'll probably take your spin yeah, I'll
4: probably get more later
3: just... Patch Patch swag. Swag. so there you go sir thanks thank you right. it's five dollars button swag
0: again button swag. Well, you want something else yeah keep going here do you yeah, like button swag? You get some free buttons? You want a button? Put it on your back. There you go. Oh, yeah, you're hey, welcome. Let's this, see what else this we is got. First I would say stick around because there might be more stuff coming your way. Yeah. Oh, beater swag. Oh, you get to pick. pick anything you want there. You guys, yeah. Pick
2: a figure. Get a figure. Wow, thanks. Nice. later, good yeah. choice. Yeah, yeah good. buddy.
0: All right, let's see if I can get you guys another beater swag. Here we go. Oh! another your one. Turn. Okay, your turn. Yeah. Yeah. There's a Leia. There's a gin. Yeah, there's Jin. We got oh. Cheer It. If you like, Cheer It. Oh. What's the one under here? That's uh, uh, yeah. Another. T- okay. Wow. All right. You're welcome. You're My better. pleasure. Absolutely. You're, you're very welcome. What's your name? Do you mind if I. Oh, no. no. This is for a podcast. Yeah. What's your name? Sophia. Sophia, it's a pleasure to meet you. What's your name? Logan. Logan, and is this your first time here at, at uh, ICCC? Yeah. Yes. Are yeah, you having fun so far? Yes. Yes. Yeah, and you guys just won stuff, and you have you have badges. Oh, that's so cool. Like you got the Harry Potter on your badge. Um, wh- what are you guys looking to do today? Which is uh, Well,
4: we live north of Nashville, so we just want to come in and check things out. Yeah. And, uh, this is I like guess second year. Yes. Yeah, this there yeah. and just gotta kind of see what's
0: here. Very cool. Yeah. All right, I hope you guys have so much fun today. Yeah. Enjoy. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Well- After I finished with my turns, I asked Justin and Glenn about their booth and what drove them to do a fundraiser like this. I'm here with Justin and Glenn from the GASWC. What does GASWC stand for? Georgia Alliance of Star Wars Collectors. Okay, and so so you guys have a a booth set up. Tell me a little bit about the, the, the booth here. What, what, are you, what are you doing here? So um,
2: we had all the club members kind of come together over the last few months and donate raffle items. So we have just an amazing collections of, uh, of things donated from, from our local members, from uh, some of the, the, the guests here have donated things to us. And uh, we're just here trying to raise money uh, for Children's Healthcare of Atlanta.
0: And is there a reason why you guys chose Children's
2: Healthcare of Atlanta? I think, you know, uh, toy collectors. You know, we're looking for a little bit of that childhood, you know, back. And Mm -hmm. so this is a way for maybe us to give back to the children or maybe instill something in them that will be a lifelong passion. Yeah,
0: awesome.
3: Okay. Yeah, and we also, we started this club as sort of a way to hand it down to the next generation. That was part of our vision because, you know, you do see all the little kids that chose and, you know, it's like, you got to instill, hey, our love of Star Wars and our love of collecting to the next generation. So yeah. I mean, that's that's sort of a big thing for us.
0: And, and you guys are very forward-thinking. I, I always, I hope you guys, I always compliment you guys because I, I absolutely love your group and I, I feel like I'm a part of your group. And it was it, um, some of you guys came up to uh, to the Empire State uh, meet up the annual two weeks ago and. You guys just represent Georgia in the most amazing way, and and I know our group wants to be like your group, and you know, and hopefully we can you know keep this this beautiful bond going. Um, but in, as far as leadership, you guys are you guys are forward thinking. You guys are looking and saying there's there needs to be a group that's coming up, right? And and you're going to feed into that. And I know you guys have started to do that as well with uh, with our friend Blake, our young yes. friend Blake. Yeah. Yes.
2: yeah, yeah, Blake. You know, we've kind of taken him under under our wing. I mean, he was already a massive collector when he joined the group at 16. Uh, it was quite amazing to see. Uh, how much how much he had already uh, collected over, you know, over his years. And uh, since he's joined the group, he's completed his, his loose run, you know, just got a yak face, the, like, the week after he graduated high school. Yeah. So, uh, you know, just uh, you got to, you know, kind of foster the younger generations
0: and, you know, yeah. keep them going. Very cool. What's been the best part of the weekend for you so far?
3: Room sales and just hanging out. I mean, it's hanging out. It's not... Uh, you know, the show's the show, but it's all about meeting new people and hanging out and, yeah. and you know, getting networking and, hey, you know, I, you know, I'm looking for a FET. So people, I'm letting people know, hey, this is what I'm looking for. So people are like, hey, so-and-so's got it. This guy's got it. You know,
0: it, it, it's, yeah. Yeah. It's the networking, and that, that's yeah. a real example. We've been trying to find you a
3: fettle. Yes, all you have. Yeah, and, and we we found him. Right, them. but unfortunately, we just can't come to you know. Yeah, and yeah. you
0: got the FET tax, which yeah. is ridiculous. Exactly. We're we're gonna we're gonna find the right one at the right price for you. That's, exactly. that's the goal of this weekend. So yeah. I mean,
3: that, that's yeah, that's what I love about this kind of stuff. It's 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 the networking and it's the helping each other out with the collections and no, you know, like I said, I'm repeating myself, but it's knowing somebody wants a figure because I know what Justin's looking for, yeah. and we're you know we help each other out and we everybody's. You know yeah, Everyone's in Everyone's in And yeah, it, yeah that, That's truthfully is my best My favorite part Is meeting You know Is the networking
2: And, and the friendships Yeah That's the most special part Right uh, Justin what's the morning Been like for you um, You know it's, it's been a good morning Picked up a couple things Here there Got some stuff for the wife okay. And uh, you know Any, Anything in particular For the wife Yeah, I got her some... uh, So there's a massive Jurassic Park set up here. And uh, there's an organization that, uh, you know... uh They've got a lot of fossils for sale. So I picked her up a, a couple cool pieces for her, you know, her collection. So there's some nice how, fossils. How does that
0: work? How do they, how, do they sell the actual fossils? Is it... So my
2: understanding is, is they actually, uh, they go out, they find the fossils. Um, they, they in turn put them in museums, but before they do that, they make casts. So they sell the casts here to generate a little income so they can go out, you know, and, and dig and find more stuff. So I think it's a cool, it's a good cause. Plus, you know, it's something cool to, you know, put in the collection room. And, so.
0: and it kind of fits into a lot of us collecting Uh, the Star Wars figures and a lot of the prototypes and stuff. And so if they're making a cast or they're making a mold of these items, it's similar to what Kenner and Hasbro did to make the the toys that we collect. Right, absolutely. You know? So... Well, I, I love you guys, and I hope that, uh, that you continue to have a wonderful weekend. I look forward to stopping by your booth. Uh, this is, it's just been a blast so far. We've gotten to spin the wheel a few times and, uh, and, and have some, some, uh, some money go to charity already, so we're off to a good start. Yeah, SDQ, you have a good weekend, Thank my friend. You as well.
3: <laughs> Thanks, Dave. Good That's meeting you, good. Could talk to
0: you. I walked around the lip of the main floor until I reached the autograph and talent area. Anthony was standing in front of Sean Crawford's table, patiently waiting his turn to meet the actor who played Yak Face, a denizen of Jabba's Palace, in 1983's Return of the Jedi. For many of us, the original Star Wars trilogy is something sacred. It helped to inspire us and to shape us growing up, so much so that we as collectors yearn to own a piece of the film in the form of props and costumes, or in the early elements of design for the Kenner toys. But the chance to meet with and to speak with someone who was on the set of even one of the films, who had a hand in bringing the wild space story to life, it was almost unimaginable. As I stood and waited with Anthony, Jason T.K. Sparrow Kane came over and joined our makeshift line. Under one of his arms was a Darth Vader replica helmet bearing the signatures of a number of actors from the Star Wars films, and I assumed he was going to ask Sean to add his name to it as well. I introduced Jason to Anthony, who had brought a Kenner Hasbro presentation board that pitched the Yak Face figure for its then-upcoming toy line. Anthony and Sean knew one another, and he thought Sean would be interested in seeing one of the earliest modern pieces for Yak Face. As we stood in line near Sean's table, a voice from the loudspeakers in front of us suddenly grabbed my attention. From the stage, Annie Watkins, the weekend's host, was talking to Mike about how and why he had created the convention. She began to mention some of the panels and activities that were happening on this main stage, also known as the Montauk stage, and Mike interjected. He asked her and the audience if they knew why it was called the Montauk stage, and at that moment I quickly excused myself, left that area, and headed toward the stage. David Montauk was a collector and vendor with a larger-than-life personality, who had quit his job to hunt for and to sell toys full-time, and was well-known throughout the entire community. He had this easy way about him, a warm Brooklynese accent, and this childlike knack for making friends quickly. David passed away in the fall of 2018, and for many of us, last September's ICCC was the last time we'd ever see him or spend time with him. He was pretty sick by that point, but none of us had any idea how sick he really was. Mike kept the fact that he was naming the main stage after David from us for a long time, leaving it as a heartfelt surprise in the weeks leading up to this year's event. And as Mike began to speak about the significance of the name, I felt I had to be there. Instinctively, I knew it was going to be hard for him to talk about it, and I wished at that moment that I could have run up onto that stage to stand next to him, and that some of our friends would have been able to join us. But Mike did a beautiful job paying tribute to our recently departed friend, as a slideshow showing photos of David at the meetups and events ran on the screens to the right and to the left of the stage. And I truly think it would have made David smile to know he would be fondly remembered, and that he was genuinely missed and loved. We had this really good friend, Edlong. And uh the first time at one of the first stream meeting, the first time and he was a really good cool.
2: friend. We went to a lot of different events together, we hung out, we uh elected together, he was in my groups, he was one of my group admins, and he was one of the kindest people I've ever met in my life. And uh unfortunately, uh October of last year in T but uh, October of last year, David passed away, and uh, he was way too young, and he was way too good of a person, and I miss the heck out of him, there he is. But uh, I love that kid, man, and I love all the people that help with this, and all the people that believe in this before you had any reason to believe in it. And uh, this stage is for David Montauk, and it will always be for David Montauk, and that way he can stay with us, collecting with us forever.
0: I stood and watched the tribute, thinking back to ICCC a year ago when David was still alive. A group of us had gone out to dinner that Thursday night to a restaurant called Martin's Barbecue. We all sat together in a reserved dining area that had a series of picnic tables, and as we munched on pulled pork and brisket that sat in large trays in front of us, we shuffled from table to table, sliding into conversations with friends we knew and meeting new friends in the process. We stayed there for hours, and in many ways, it felt more like a family reunion than a collector's meetup. I had never hung out with Kyle and David at the same time, and it was fun to sit back and to hear them exchange stories under the dim lights of a Nashville barbecue restaurant. We ended that night with a group photo, and although I know I will never have the opportunity to relive that same moment ever again, it's the first fond image that enters my mind when I think of Nashville. I walked back through the narrow passageway with the colorful arrow markers on the ground and returned to my friends. They were still waiting in line at Sean's table, and he was still speaking with the same attendee. And that's one of the special things about the ICCC. The amount of time the guests spend with convention goers is pretty substantial, and it was amazing to see personal bonds forming between some of my friends and some of the actors from the Star Wars films. A number of the actors who were featured last year enjoyed themselves so much that they signed back on almost immediately for this year. And I think a large part of that enthusiasm was due to the connections and friendships that were made. At a lot of conventions, the idea of meeting a celebrity or a guest is essentially a business transaction, one that happens in a matter of seconds. The attendee pays a specified price, stands in line, a handler guides the attendee to the celebrity, there's a quick handshake and a few words exchanged, a photo is taken or an autograph is signed, there's a closing handshake or a hug or a simple nod between the celebrity and the attendee, and then it's over. Next in line, handshake, hello, photo, autograph, and so on and so on. And it's not the fault of the convention or the celebrity or the attendee. It's just the way it is. It's a system, and it's based on factors like volume and time. Mike has always stressed a personal connection at ICCC, and it makes a difference. I think it makes the experience more meaningful for collectors and enthusiasts like us, and it makes the guests who show up to meet attendees feel appreciated. As Anthony and Jason waited for Sean to finish speaking with the person in front of us, a gentleman named Tim Dry came out from behind his table, which was next to Sean's, to greet us. He inspected the Darth Vader helmet Jason held in his hands and entered into a conversation with us. Tim told us what it was like to play the beastly character Jaquil in Return of the Jedi and what his time on the set was like. A few minutes later, Sean came over to where we were standing and joined in on the conversation. And this was one of those moments that makes a convention like ICCC special. Tim and Sean spent the next 40 minutes with us. They've been friends for decades and worked on Return of the Jedi together. They filmed scenes at Jabba's palace with Tim as Jaquil and Sean as Yakface, and later played Mon Calamari officers in Admiral Ackbar's regime for the second half of the film. For Anthony, Jason, and myself, it was a dream to hear first-hand accounts of what it was like to work on a film that touched all of our lives. Tim and Sean explained that they began their careers as mimes. They were hired for Return of the Jedi because Lucas needed artists who were capable of being expressive through layers of outfits, heavy and somewhat static masks, and hard-formed creature hands that limited gestures. I asked them if they and the cast often hung out and partied after a long day of shooting, and Sean's response definitely surprised me. What would you guys do? Like, so after you after you filmed for the day, would you all get together and hang out? Oh,
5: no, Tim and I were off. No, we were busy. I'd say we were doing shows. We were playing and we recording. had in like three, three jobs going on with that. Yeah, we were we were busy. We were very popular. Um, yeah, we were in at that time. We were. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. That's. See so that we were doing. Oh, that's Steve Strange, who was a big in the '80s, sort of visage, Billy Idol. We were partying. We, you We were. We were very much part of the scene in London yeah. at the time. We were hipsters. And that was a, that was a cool scene to be a part of too. Yeah, with, yeah. A, with a good crowd too. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, we were we were out there. Yeah. Nice. Wow. We were space cadets, <laughs> and we loved it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we, we, we were so the more strange we were, mm-hmm. the more people liked it. I understand yeah. it. Oh, you know, yeah. if, if you work a nine to five job and you work behind a till in in the bank. You like looking at something a little bit weird if it doesn't attack you and yeah. stuff. But and we were lovable guys. Strange, but we were all we were there, you know. And the strange we were, the better they liked it, you know. And he uh, cottoned on that be weird just be yourself you know and yeah. when you look at life there's so many strange things and we were in very odd situations you know flying from one place to another i mean like duran we were like nick rhodes and duran was my best mate well, i went to his wedding i'd stay with him in paris simon le Mans. we were we, you know we were mates you know we were. it's cool
0: And it was incredible to hear stories of their friendship that has only grown since then and how much the opportunity to share their lives and their stories with fans and collectors have meant to them over the years.
1: Well, you know what is strange? Because um, both Sean and I had seen the first movies and we thought, oh, this is brilliant. You know, this is the future of sci-fi. And you never in a million years would have dreamt you'd end up being in one. So when our mime tutor phoned us up and said, I've been asked to find mime to play creatures in the new Star Wars so we turn up, there's 25 of us, 9 of us got the job about a week later, you know,
0: it's like (laughs) what was the most surreal moment for for each of you as you were, yeah, oh yeah, well I mean just like was there a moment where you were either on set and you just turned around and and realised that you were in the middle of Return of the Jedi
1: yeah, I think it was um, just it was the reality of it, I mean this huge Jabba thing you know, with five poor, <laughs> four, poor guys inside it. Little Mike Evans in the tail. Carrie stepped on his head.
0: And, oh my god!
1: Yeah, yeah, she was wearing shoes in one scene, and she went right through the. It's only very thin foam. And little Mike goes, Oi. <laughs> 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 But and you got uh, Toby Philpot doing the left arm, I think, and the other guy doing the right arm. Another guy outside doing the eyes. And uh, it was just, you know, I've never—oh, sorry, I've never seen anything like this before.
0: Yeah. Tim excused himself to head back to his table to continue the photo ops and autograph requests, while Sean stayed with us a little longer. He explained how the passion for collecting seeped into his world, and how he, like us, became a collector of Star Wars memorabilia, mainly Yak Face. And as he traveled to more conventions and met more Star Wars enthusiasts, he became smitten with the patches produced by members of the 501st Legion. The 501st is an all-volunteer organization of costume enthusiasts that promotes Star Wars through the high-quality costumes its members build and wear. The 501st attend Star Wars-related events in costume and take part in costumed charity and volunteer work. Most recently, some members were invited to appear in costume in the Disney series The Mandalorian. Sean brought us closer to his table and showed us the patches that adorned the front of it. They were 501st patches from all over the world, and he was so proud to own them. Jason smiled and told him he was a 501st trooper, and as they talked, something amazing struck me, and I had to share it with them. I pointed out that we, as toy collectors, sought Yak Face production and pre-production pieces, which were based on a character he portrayed. And now, all these years later, he has become not only a collector with us, but he was collecting the patches from the groups to which many of my friends belonged. Speaking to Tim and Sean was one of the highlights of my trip, and something I will never forget. Do you um, you ever ever get sentimental looking at at that, you know, and just reflecting? Because, I mean... No, I just remember the smell of that head. <laughs>
5: <laughs> Sentimental there's actually things that you do come. If there's a smell of the mo- smoke. Remember yes, the smoke? The there the smoke machines. And suddenly, when you smell that, like it takes you back. The there's certain things that sort of trigger you. Yeah, that, and that sort was of quite...
1: sweaty yak fur. You yeah. Know. Yeah. No, I mean, the sentimentality comes when we do things like this yeah. because you see the love from guys like you, Oh, occasional girl,
0: you know. <laughs> um, not many, not enough. More and more though growing, which yeah. is nice. Yes. But you know,
1: you suddenly think, wow, we, we were part of something quite extraordinary. Okay. I mean, we did know it at the time, but then we thought, well, we we'll just get on with the rest of our lives. So here we are 37 years later. And everyone's going, oh my God, this is the best thing ever.
0: Around one o'clock, I made my way back toward the autograph area. I thought James Arnold Taylor, the voice of Obi-Wan in the Clone Wars animated series, was supposed to arrive around that time. He had scheduled a number of convention appearances around the country during the season, and for top-secret film-related reasons, he had to cancel them at the last minute. But even with his cancellations, James kindly agreed to show up for Saturday afternoon to sign autographs at ICCC, as he would be in the Nashville region for a production meeting there. On Sunday, he would also be performing his one-man stage show, Talking to Myself, which not only highlights the many characters he's voiced over the years, but also gives insight into his journey toward becoming a voice actor, and what it's like to do voiceover work in Hollywood. My flight home was scheduled for Sunday morning, which I regretted, especially because I would miss his performance, but I had hoped to see him even for a few minutes on Saturday. James's superpower is his imagination— He's able to connect with people from all walks of life with it, to make them laugh, to fill them with awe, and to simply make them feel. On a particularly arduous commute recently, I found myself immersed in a very personal episode of his podcast, also titled Talking to Myself. In it, he recounted his family's harrowing experience with the California wildfires, how they thought they lost their house, the compassion of their friends around them, and what it was like to find out their house was still standing. In addition to being the Obi-Wan in the Clone Wars series, James is a man of deep faith who is not afraid to share his faith in the Lord with others and what a relationship with Jesus has meant to him. He is not afraid to love relentlessly and to try to be a light to others each day that he is alive. I've met him twice before and all I can say is I love him very much and I hope to spend some time with him someday as a friend. Sadly, this weekend was not that time. I checked his booth at 1 o'clock, and he wasn't there. Maybe I'd misheard the time he was supposed to arrive. Or maybe he was delayed. Or maybe he would only be appearing on Sunday now. I figured I'd check back in an hour. Help me, voice of Obi-Wan Kenobi. You're my only hope. One of my favorite things about ICCC are the collector's panels. Having the opportunity to attend presentations by our peers, many of whom are established collectors in the hobby, is what elevates a convention from being more than a toy show. Saturday's panels included a super collector conversation with three of the legends of our hobby, Steve Sansweet, Duncan Jenkins, and Gus Lopez. In The Women of Collecting, Robin Bocra, Andrea Havens, and Vicky Bitter spoke about how they became fans of Star Wars and why they hunt the items from the films. And Daniel Segovia held a 45-minute look at the Peruvian and Argentinian Star Wars items that have captivated many of the collectors in the States. The 145 panel was titled Prototype Super Collectors, and as someone who has become obsessed with prototypes and the pre-production process, I was determined not to miss it. Fortunately, Trent Bailey, Corey Bailey, Brian Angel, Justin Haney, Blake Morgan, Anthony Pagano, and a number of other friends felt the exact same way. A group of us gathered in a row facing the stage, and as close to it as we could be. Our friends Mike Mensinger and Ron Salvatore were presenting at a panel on the unproduced items from Kenner's Superpowers and Star Wars lines. Mike was the creator of the long-running superpowers site, KennerSuperPowers.com, and was one of the most knowledgeable collectors of the DC Comics-based brand. When it comes to collecting, the depth of Mike's knowledge goes far beyond superpowers. He also has an outstanding Star Wars collection, and over the past few decades, he has amassed storied pieces from a multitude of lines. And Ron has been one of the main contributors to the website, the Star Wars Collector's Archive, for years. And he is one of the foremost collectors of Star Wars 2D and 3D items, amassing an incredible collection of displays, pre-production pieces, and historically relevant Kenner relics. In addition to being two of the hobby's most respected collectors, they have been mentors to me. Over the years, they've not only taught me about the Kenner toys I love and grew up with, but they've given me a better grasp on the pre-production process of toys. And that knowledge and understanding has been vital to the goal of building a solid, modern prototype collection. And I think that's something collectors often forget. While many of us love prototypes and chromolins and hard copies and proof cards, very few of us have ever worked for a toy company. We do not have first-hand experience producing toys, so our overall grasp of the process tends to add up to a smattering of ideas rather than a start-to-finish, comprehensive understanding. And people like Mike and Ron have spent years hunting, studying, and researching the process and have helped to stitch together a fuller idea for those who are interested in it. But the superpower each possesses stems from a willingness and a passion to share what they've learned with others. They each give freely of their knowledge and time, and it has certainly had a positive and lasting impact on the hobby. The items we add to our home displays mean more in the context of the process and history because of people like Mike and Ron. And today, backed by a dizzying array of visuals, they presented a panel on some of the rarest unproduced items from the end of the Superpowers line and from the cancelled but fan-favorite Star Wars Micro Collection. Mike spoke first and highlighted the later aspects of the Superpowers line, like the fourth series of figures that were never produced.
5: And then last but not least, um,
4: I guess it was 8, 8 was going to be the 50th anniversary of Superman. So they were going to do a uh, bold, shiny version of Superman, who uh, would have been in support of that anniversary. The arms were re-sculpted to be a more straight, fine pose, and the legs were going to be one piece. Since it was going to be back-metalized, they didn't want joints.
0: Ron shared images of many of the pieces and playsets that were conceived for the Star Wars microline by the designers at Kenner, and many were pretty far along in the process toward being released at toy stores across the country. However, due to lagging sales, Kenner canceled the microline in 1982. And so the only examples we have today of characters like Luke Jedi and Biker Scout, and for a playset like the second Death Star and Endor World, is in the unproduced prototype form. Okay, moving on to the Death Star, there were two Death Star sets released in 1982. The 1983 version would have been uh, based on the Emperor's Throne from Return of the Jedi. That is a handmade model of what it would have looked like. And this, uh, this is one of my favorite sets because there's some very cool figures. The Emperor seated in his throne. I uh, call this the Emperor Disco version because mm-hmm. he looks like he's dancing. But it's obviously, he's supposed to be uh, using his lightning powers on the Skywalker, that's <laughs> the, the idea there. Two different Royal Guards, I mean the Royal Guard is so cool looking that it almost doesn't matter that they almost look exactly alike, but if you look closely, you'll see that the hands are posed differently. And then there's uh, Death Star, I mean sorry, Imperial Commander, okay, you see the sculpt on the left there, and then on the right, that is a 4 to 1 hard copy. After the panel, Kyle and I headed into the VIP section to have some lunch. At the entrance, security checked our badges, and we walked down a corridor into a large room. Rectangular tables were set up in the center of it, and there were already people eating. Along the wall to the right of us was a long table with aluminum trays filled with offerings like pulled pork, baked beans, and macaroni and cheese. Grabbing a roll, Kyle and I made pulled pork sandwiches. We sat at a table and began to eat, and were soon joined by Dan Loiselle, Jonathan Robinson, Brian Angel, and two others who did not purchase VIP badges, but somehow managed to procure one in time for lunch. It's really nice to sit back and to see where a conversation goes among friends. Kyle finished his meal pretty quickly and brought a pie back to our table for dessert. After some of the guys finished eating and left the room to return to the convention, I got up and went back to the food table for a second round. I noticed that Annie Watkins, the host of the main stage and its events, had rushed in for a short break and was eating by herself. Introducing myself, I asked her if she would like to join us at our table. She walked back with me and I introduced her to the rest of our friends. Annie is a New York-based actress and she's incredibly personable. Her theater experience made her a natural fit to be the ICCC's host for the weekend, but it was an inner joy she possessed that endeared her to all of us. And while she wasn't a collector, she was a Star Wars obsessive who could go toe-to-toe with any of us when it came to the films, the characters, and the stories. In fact, during the costume contest later that day, she dressed as a special vintage Kenner figure, the prototype version of Return of the Jedi's Leia in her Endor poncho, And matching this particular prototype example that many collectors covet, Annie's poncho was pink. Like many events at conventions, the memorable ones are often unplanned. We went into the VIP section for a quick bite to eat, and we came away with a new friendship. It was fun to listen to Kyle and Jonathan Robinson transition from talking about pie to moments in our nation's history to one of the most respectful and friendly discussions about politics, and back to pie again. I was really impressed by Brian's ability to make someone feel instantly comfortable among strangers, and to connect in such a warm and genuine way. And it was wonderful to hear Annie's passion for Star Wars. To her, hosting the main stage meant something, and she was representing us as fans in the best way for the entire weekend. And I'm happy to say she joined our New York-based Empire State Star Wars Collectors Club as well. At some point after two o'clock, I went back to the autograph section to see if James Arnold Taylor had showed up. His table was still empty. I faced the realization that I would not be meeting one of my heroes during this trip, as I had assumed he would not show up that day, and would only attend on Sunday, when I would be on my way back home. A few days after the event, I found out he arrived after three o'clock to take photos and sign autographs, and I was crushed to have missed him by what was a matter of minutes. Walking along the outer rim of the show floor on my way back to Matt's booth, I ran into Justin. Having a good time so far? I asked him. His face went blank as if he were somewhere else. Someone just found a vintage Scratch Test R2, he replied. Show me where, I said, and I quickly followed him. A Scratch Test is a piece used in the pre-production process. It's often a production figure or one close to production whose surface was marked with a tool to create a type of hash mark. It was to test the durability of the figure, and to make sure the plastic was resistant to scratches and to playwear. Scratch Test pieces are prized by Star Wars collectors, as they were tangible examples of the work Kenner put into creating and testing the toys. And while I was less concerned about the Scratch Test R2 itself, which was probably resting in the hands of a very happy collector... It was a reasonable assumption that any vendor who had a piece like this may have more buried within their piles of Star Wars toys for sale. We descended upon the vendor's booth with military precision. Trent and Corey were there as well, and we quietly and systematically went through every item in sight. Trent and I knelt on the floor beside an 18-gallon Rubbermaid bin filled with a mix of modern and vintage Star Wars toys. We pulled them out by the handful, and checking the paint and the copyright markings, we created a pile of items that were your standard production pieces. Behind us, Justin stood in front of a wall of individually bagged loose figures, reading the copyrights and countries of origin on the figures' backs and legs. Once we were far enough along where Trent could handle the rest by himself, I jumped up and joined Justin in the bagged figure search. The booth's vendor had been busy with a customer at the time, but when he was finished, I asked him if he had any more Star Wars figures. He paused for a moment, and moving aside the black cloth that covered the legs of one of the tables, he pulled out a large clear bag that was filled with the vintage figures. Justin, Trent, and I carefully emptied the bag and worked together in the same manner as before to check each figure. Unfortunately, everything turned out to be production, and we didn't find any additional prototypes from that booth. Justin and I stood up and went through the back wall of boxed modern ships and multipacks, just in case. And although we didn't find anything, it was one of the best moments of the convention for me. To scour tables together in the hopes of finding some yet undiscovered gems of the toys we loved, I was touched by how well we all worked together. Being in the midst of a potential find with others whom I not only called brothers, but who knew what to look for and who were passionate enough about collecting not to give up until every piece had been examined, was invigorating and exciting. It was a quiet symphony of communication, subtle gestures and clipped phrases and nods that we were all keeping the same rhythm. And while we might have been unsuccessful, one of our friends from Georgia fared much better. So it's about 3.30 on Saturday and we're here with Blake Morgan. And uh, Blake, how old are you? 19 19 and you're part of the Georgia club right Yes yeah so you came here are you excited are you glad that you came here today, today? Oh, for sure yeah and uh, and we, you're going through a booth and you just happened to stumble upon something how much was it 10 bucks 10 bucks and what did it turn out to be what what did it look like to you at first or to well, anyone else at first it was one of those diecast X-wings it was missing the uh, canopy so it was kind of like whatever but then i spotted there was a X-wing micro pilot and he was in pretty and, good and This strength. is this is a 1982 1982 the diecast one he was in pretty good shape so i was like okay that's worth it for 10 bucks so i picked it up i saw a vader in there too so i paid the dude and then i walked away i started opening the bag and i pull out the vader i pull out the all that stuff and then there's the rebel commander from the turret defense set who and he's painted in white but then where it should be brown it's like painted in gray like a test paint yeah I love that the base is gray. Yeah. Like, I love that the base... I didn't notice that. Until. It's definitely hand-painted. It's beautiful. And how much did you pay for that? Ten bucks. Ten bucks. So, what would that it be something. called? Is that test paint or... is It test paint, yeah. I sent a picture to Paul Vigiano. That uh, makes this a really special uh, event for you then. Yeah, for sure. That's awesome. Yeah. Congratulations. Yeah,
2: congratulations, Thanks, man. I'm super nice. stoked about it.
0: I returned to Matt's table a short time later. At this point, my energy had subsided and I was tired. Kyle asked if I had spoken to Anthony. He mentioned that Anthony had to leave a little while ago and tried to call me and locate me. I grabbed my phone out of my pocket and saw a missed call and a message from him, and my heart sank. A convention is a tricky thing. I liken it to being in the ocean with friends. One minute you're all together, but different sized waves come in and as you're trying to either fight them or move with them, at some point you look up and you realize you're somewhere else along the shore, separated from everyone else. And that's what happens at big shows like this. Panels send you in one direction, and then stopping to talk to friends, or checking out a section like the autograph hall or club tables, or even going on a wild hunt for a scratch test R2 pulls you in a direction you never intended to travel and before you know it, you missed out on saying goodbye to one of your dearest friends. I called Anthony and told him I was sorry to have missed him, but that the time we spent together for the second year in a row in Franklin was great. I knew we'd speak soon, probably that day or the next night, but I had missed out on the chance to do so in person before he left. But I was so thankful for the time we had spent the night before, especially going out to dinner before the room sales, and then hanging out, long after the sales ended. And this day had been pretty special as well. And with another year of trips and shows and meetups ahead of us, I knew it wouldn't be long before we were in the same room together again, hunting prototypes and sharing the stories of our lives with one another. At that point, Kyle and I took a walk. We began in one corner of the lower floor and walked up and down each aisle, glancing through bins, flipping through posters and carded figure arrangements, and pointing out unique pieces that hung against the back curtains of each booth. I love talking to Kyle. It's easy, and our conversations tend to stretch among vast series of tangents within minutes, always wandering and straying from our original topic. And that's wonderful. Kyle possesses a genuine curiosity and excitement about the world around him, and it's difficult not to get caught up in that excitement with him. Speaking with him has given me an appreciation for many things I might have overlooked otherwise, and to be able to see the world through someone else's eyes can be a real blessing. As tired as I was at that point, I was happy to have the rest of the evening to look forward to yet, and was content that I still had time left in Tennessee. We returned to Matt's table, and I pulled out a container underneath it that held two graded Star Wars items. I carried it up the stairs and over to the Hakes booth. When my friend decided to submit a carded, double-telescoping Darth Vader he had won at a local auction to Hakes, I decided to submit two pieces of my own as well. We had gone through an adventure together over the spring and summer with that Vader, and I wanted to join him and to be a part of the upcoming Hakes auction as well. Plus, I had never submitted anything to a large, worldwide public auction before, and thought it would be an interesting experience. I had met Kelly McLean and Todd Sheffer the day before, and when they saw me, they greeted me warmly. We talked for a bit, and as they stepped away for a few minutes to speak with another attendee, I quickly filled out the submission forms. I took pictures of my piece and of the paperwork, and in the quiet of that moment, I prayed over my friend's Vader piece, that he would be blessed with life-changing money through its sale. I reflected on how it went from a total surprise at a local auction, to winding up in the hands of my friend, to traveling to Georgia to be authenticated, and then to find its way into a display case in Nashville in a last-minute decision. I felt the sheer weight of that moment and knew that the path it took could have only come from the Lord and was thankful to have been able to see it in person. I turned around and, checking my paperwork one more time, prayed over my pieces as well. I spoke with Kelly and Todd for a while about my friend's Vader, and about the other pieces that would be for sale over the next six months. Before I left, I shook their hands and hugged them one more time, and wished them all the best in the upcoming auction. I had missed the raffle announcement at the Georgia Alliance Club table, which was set to be announced at 5 p.m., While I was finishing up with Kelly and Todd, I noticed that my friends had gathered around the Georgia table. But by the time I had finished speaking with them and made my way over there, it was too late. But here are Justin and Trent to recap what turned out to be a pretty cool moment at the show. Yeah,
6: this is uh, Justin Haney uh, reporting in on behalf of the Georgia Alliance of Star Wars Collectors. I wanted to thank David Quinn for asking me to come on star wars prototypes and production uh we had an amazing weekend there in nashville for the icc c2 um really fantastic weekend uh lots of good collectibles lots of good toys and um, lots of good stuff going on uh on behalf of our club again the georgia alliance star wars collectors we uh did a charity raffle for the second year in a row we had club members, uh, donate specific items, various items, uh, vintage stuff, modern, black series, uh, men on card stuff, just about anything under the sun. Um, and we took donations and, and we took all those donations uh, and sent them out to Children's Healthcare of Atlanta. We raised over $1,000 for Children's Healthcare for the second year in a row and absolutely fantastic. And we, we capped off each day, both Saturday and Sunday with a raffle so people came in they donated money they got a raffle ticket and we gave away some fantastic stuff um, I believe uh, Dan Loiselle got a pretty epic um, Box Millennium Falcon that I think he had to ship back to New York because all he brought was a carry on Uh, We had a pretty special moment between Nelmini Kler and Trent Bailey. Uh, Nelmini won one of our framed movie posters, but because she couldn't travel back with it, uh, Trent Bailey kind of stepped up and it was obviously an item he wanted, and they worked out a pretty sweet deal. I'm not, not 100% sure what what happened there, but it was a pretty cool moment to see their spur of the moment, uh, everybody get something they wanted. Um, I believe Dave asked me on here to talk about some of the more unique experiences during that uh, raffle moment. Um, again, we raised over a thousand dollars and it was really special and, and it's great, uh, for children's healthcare of Atlanta. Uh, and that's our, our local club charity of choice. However, um, I guess I will blame Mr. Mark Vanis and Brock Walker. I think they were walking around the convention center looking for the Bavarian nut dealer. Um, they couldn't find him, but what they did find is uh, the one and only Mr. Sean Crawford. Uh, most of you will recognize him as he played Yak Face in Return of the Jedi. Uh, they brought Sean Crawford back to the booth. Um, he may or may not have been nipping something from his flask. I don't know if Brock and Vanis were partaking or not, but Sean was gracious enough. He donated a signed uh, vintage collection yak face figure and then one of his elusive um, yak face owner medallions so it was pretty cool out of nowhere here comes mark brock with sean crawford in tow and and they're ready to just you know have a good time and sean loved the whole experience that we were raising money for the kids and raising money for charity and he was just you know completely willing to donate and and he took photos with all the winners and he took group photos with all of us and we may or may not have spent some time hanging out with him later that night so Dave, I hope that's what you're looking for. And uh, on behalf of the Georgia Alliance of Star Wars collectors, thanks for letting me come on this podcast and tell our unique little bit of history from the ICCC last year. And um, man, let's try and get Sean Crawford to celebration because that man is a good time. Yeah, he likes to have some fun. All right, well, cheers uh, here from Atlanta, Georgia. Justin Haney signing out. Thanks again, Dave.
4: Hey, this is Trent Bailey. Our friend Sweet David Quinn asked me to talk about a moment at the ICCC that was special. And um, there was several of them, actually. But um, one that comes to mind um, included the Georgia Alliance of Star Wars Collectors. Um, It's a group that has done a whole lot in a short amount of time, and they're growing exponentially. Um, Number one, they're doing a lot of good things for the community. Uh, But throughout the weekend, they were doing raffles for charity um, and one of the raffle items that they had up was an original uh, Power of the Force style Return of the Jedi poster. So that's the um, just the hand holding the saber. And I don't have a large collection of posters, uh, but that is one that I've wanted to get. So I, I definitely donated some money for the for the cause, and the thought was if the my ticket was actually called for that poster, that it would just be awesome. But uh, in the long run, it wasn't called, but the person who did win it uh, was unable to actually take it home. They had flown in from uh, the Northeast. So um, we actually were able to work out a really cool trade. I, we figured out a kind of a value on it, and um, I, I agreed to buy something for them on the show floor. So I believe she got a, um Empire Strikes Back boxed set of the um, candy heads. I think it was a complete set, but it was the box. I know she's a Yoda fan, so... Um, so she ends up getting something she wanted and I was able to get a poster that it's not on my wall yet but it will be eventually um but that's just one kind of cool thing that the Georgia Alliance was doing down down there they had you know a bunch of great stuff going on and that crew has become dear friends of mine so uh it was kind of cool to be able to experience that but you know there's a bunch of other stuff that went on that weekend and that is just as memorable, but that's one thing that definitely comes to mind. So, uh, hope everyone's having a
0: great time and
4: may the force be with
0: you all. At that point, the show was beginning to wind down for the day. I took one last walk over to the autograph section to see if James Arnold Taylor showed up, but unbeknownst to me at the time, I had probably just missed him. It was after six o'clock and the talent had left for the day. It was time for us to leave as well. Kyle, Trent, and I helped Matt pack up his table for the night, taking some of the more valuable items with us and locking some of the others in the display cases on the table. I took one last walk through the venue, surprised at how fast the past three days went here in Nashville. But that's the way it always is during these convention and toy show trips. There's never much downtime, and the only time I rest is whenever my head hits the pillow at the end of the day. The parking lot and everything around it was blanketed in a haze of orange tones. And as Kyle and I piled our weary selves into his blue truck for the final time, I found myself gazing at the sky. We had missed the peak of sunset, but the sun wasn't done just yet. The swirling clouds surrounded it and proceeded to engulf it, and all the while it continued to blaze during its descent through the horizon. In the last few minutes of daylight, a hazy, reddish glow filled the sky, pushing through the clouds at an even pace, like an ink stain determined to spread. And as Kyle rode on the stone-covered strip that led to a larger, smoother section of pavement, and pulled out of the parking lot one last time, I found myself looking back at that building, and at that beautiful sky, for as long as the fading light would allow. Kyle and Matt were pretty tired by the time we got back to our hotel, and I think they just wanted to relax for a bit. Away from the bustle of the crowds, and to submerge themselves into the quiet of our temporary sanctuary. I didn't blame them. Again though, and I realize this is a common thread within the Nashville experience, I was starving. After ordering a pizza, Kyle headed off to his room to take a shower, and Matt sat on the couch, intently watching a college football game. I wasn't in the mood for pizza, so I decided to walk to Noodles & Company to get dinner. I turned the corner and walked down the dimly lit sidewalk. The area feels like an upscale college town, with brick-walled buildings and quaint storefronts. Many of the tables outside the Tuplo Honey Cafe across the street were occupied, and you could hear the faint echoes of conversation, even from a distance. But the night was quiet and peaceful. It was one of those evenings in which the weather was so perfect, you don't even realize it at the time. It was about 70 degrees, and you could feel the heat of the day on the surface of your skin. It's a jarring feeling to hear your name called out in the midst of the quiet and the darkness. A car sidled up to the sidewalk next to me, at a pace in which we were suddenly traveling together. A voice with a languid southern drawl said, David, are you doing okay tonight? It was Jonathan Robinson. I walked over to the car, and standing in front of him could see slivers of light from the dashboard reflecting around the edges of his glasses. Jonathan was on his way to get some dinner for himself, so I invited him to join me on my trek to Noodles & Company. He parked his car along the sidewalk, and we headed for the restaurant. It's so easy to talk to Jonathan. He's passionate about everything from collecting to filmmaking to politics and faith, but you get the idea very quickly after speaking with him that he's much more concerned with connecting with you as a person than to try to persuade you to think like he does. He's patient and kind, and you can tell he sees conversation as a beautiful two-way street that likely leads to a deeper friendship. I have met few people who listen to what others say as respectfully as he does, and it's very easy to see how much friendships mean to him. To say I'm thankful to have met him on this Nashville trip would be a massive understatement. We picked up Pad Thai bowls from Noodles & Company, and as we were walking back to my hotel room to eat, he told me about a documentary he had created. It's called Who Are You People? and is available for streaming on Amazon Prime. Who Are You People? is a look at the town of Mobile, Alabama, where Jonathan grew up. As Mobile's economy was fading in the late 1970s and jobs began to dry up, a film crew contacted the town out of the blue with the hopes of using some of the old war facilities there. The director was none other than Steven Spielberg, and the movie would become the beloved Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Spielberg's production team set up camp in Mobile for the entire summer. They liked the area so much, they shot the entirety of the film there, and they employed many of the locals who threw themselves wholeheartedly into the project. Who Are You People? is a first-hand account from the townsfolk of Mobile of what it was like to be part of the movie-making experience and how that summer changed their lives. After seeing it, you will never look at that film or that moment in history the same way again. They made a movie in
1: my hometown. The attitude at the time is why would they want to come here?
5: Maybe you're wondering why we picked Mobile. Brought in cameras and mics for sound.
1: It was controlled chaos. Yeah. It was very secretive, very closely guarded. There's a lot of security. Built a rock canyon at an old air base. It was just the most uh, amazing looking thing at the time.
5: It was a transcendent moment in film, in my opinion. They made a movie in my hometown.
0: Once back in the hotel room, I introduced Matt and Kyle to Jonathan, and we ate while we waited for Trent and Corey to come over. We had intended to sell at the night's room sales, but only one of the conference rooms was open, and it seemed like fatigue had set in, and most people were done buying and selling for the day. For me, it was the final few hours I would get to spend with my friends, and I didn't want to do it from behind a table. I was happy with the money I had made from the previous night's room sales, and honestly, it was around that time in which my lack of sleep collided with the relentless pace of the past few days, creating a thunderclap that left me exhausted. We walked over to the courtyard by Marriott as a group. Throughout the year, I was fortunate to have been able to spend time alone with each person currently alongside me, but to be surrounded by a group like this is really what makes traveling to another state completely worth it. These moments are so rare that we would all be walking along the same stretch of pavement, immersed in one conversation, laughing together, and I took a mental snapshot in the hopes that I would never forget the feeling and that it would carry me through the days until the next meetup. Corey's short bursts of laughter, the honey-glazed cadence of Trent's dry humor, the lower register of Matt's calming voice interspersed with the slap-click of his flip-flops— Jonathan's warm rich drawl and thoughtful questions. The excitement in Kyle's voice as he adds to conversation that becomes funnier and funnier. The raucous tones of those who meet us along the way as we pass from street light to street light. These are the sounds that return to me in joyful ways long after the trip has ended. The electronic sliding doors at the entrance of the hotel opened, and the cold air inside rushed at us as if to escape. The scene inside was boisterous, with clusters of people filling up the formerly open space, and it brought me back to the nights of last year's Nashville event. Toys and collectibles for sale and for trade were lined up on a few of the tables in front of the hotel bar, and were practically glowing under the lights of what looked to be a larger countertop. The noise in the evening was different from the noise at the convention. Absent were the announcements over the speakers, the rotating shows from the stage, and the accompanying music from the house band. There were no chirping droids, no performers, just a room full of collectors, friends, and attendees. It was nice to be able to experience both types of gatherings in the same day. Last night, during the room sales, we were all segmented. Some of us were set up in the conference room in the courtyard, and others were set up at the residence inn. And while both hotels shared the same parking lot, we were never all in the same room. And believe it or not, it really makes a difference. It's what made last year's room sales so special, and this year's a little more disjointed. But tonight, we were together. I moved around the room, speaking with as many friends as time would allow. I had a wonderful conversation with Mike Menzinger and Isaac Lev about what buying toys and prototypes during eBay's early years was like, as things we now take for granted, like photographs, were just becoming integrated with listings, and when it was possible to see which friends were bidding on which items. There was an excitement and a rhythm to those nascent days, but that has since been replaced with new rhythms of auctions and hunting across the globe through the site, and with it all, a new sense of excitement. But the constant of not knowing what gems will pop up for sale every day is what keeps us coming back to the famed auction and e-commerce site. As it happens at any meetup or house party, or any large gathering, I find myself shifting from conversation to conversation, from small circle to a bigger one, and often returning to a more intimate one-on-one with a friend. Star Wars is the common thread, but in moments like this, it tends to ride sidecar. The late-night meetups give us the chance to get to know one another on a deeper, more personal level. About the things that are waiting for us at home, like our significant others, our families, what we do for a living, how we spend our time when we're not hunting and collecting, and our passions outside of Star Wars. But conversations around collecting are important. Finding a group of people who look at pieces of plastic and cardboard, who understand the significance of these details we obsess over, and who share that obsession are rare. Our family members, our co-workers, they may listen to us when we talk about collecting, but they don't get it. They don't understand what it's like to hear a new film title for the first time, or what it's like to meet someone from a Star Wars film whom we idolized when we were younger, or how the real-life passing of an on-screen princess could crush us. They don't understand the feeling of finding an unexpected treasure buried among piles of toys on a vendor's table, or adding a piece to our collection that has evaded us for years. They'll never understand the simple secret that things like the Force, and droids, and lightsabers, and Wookiees, and Jedi Masters are real to us in a way that goes beyond all logic and reason. They were so vivid to us as children that a piece of us still believes in them in a good and healthy way. The dream to ignite that saber, to fly the Millennium Falcon, to save a galaxy with the help of our friends, all of that is forever embedded in our DNA. They might never understand that Kenner and Hasbro will always mean something to us, and that we will always be indebted to the designers and artists who brought the world of Star Wars into our homes and into our hands, allowing us to tell stories of our own with them. But we have each other. We get it, and we love to talk about Star Wars together and share in a moment like the weekend experience that was the ICCC, like hanging out in the collection room of Trent and Corey Bailey, like the room sales, like a late night meetup in a hotel after a day at a sci-fi convention. As I stood in the midst of the gathering in that lobby, a strange feeling came over me. This was not only my last night in Nashville for the weekend, but I felt it might possibly be the last time we spend here as a collecting group as well. With the Comic-Con-sized Star Wars Celebration Anaheim happening during the end of August in the coming year, it didn't make sense financially or logistically for the ICCC to happen a few weeks after it in mid-September again. And this was only the second year of ICCC. None of us had any idea if it had been a success, and whether it would continue. As a convention, it offered so much for Star Wars fans like myself. But there were just too many unknowns at that point to solidify its future. And if Mike held it for a third year in a row, would he try it in another state? Or in a completely different region of the country? And between finances and familial obligations during the year, would everyone come back together for it? So I stayed with everyone as long as I could, for as long as my eyes would remain open. I had a a 9am flight the next morning, which meant I would be up at 6 in order to head to the airport for 7. I eventually made my rounds to say goodbye to everyone. We stopped to take photos every time a person pulled out a phone or a camera, smiled as the flash hit our faces, and went back to our conversations, laughing harder and harder until our voices became hoarse. Kyle was ready to head back to the room as well, as he would be driving home the next morning too. As I said goodbye to Marcy and Corey, Trent snapped a few photos of us. He turned one of those photos into a swag button he handed out at the Cincinnati meetup a month later, as a takeoff on the old Billy D. Williams Colt 45 commercials. It's certainly odd to see people wearing buttons with your face on it, but in the context of friends like these, it's truly an honor. The room swelled with noise, and a bunch of us walked outside to greet those who were standing under the lights of the entranceway. It was great to spend a few more minutes with Justin, Blake, Glenn, Jason, and Orion. The Georgia group had become like family to me over the past year, and I was excited to see where their creativity and excitement toward growing our hobby would take them. I hugged each of them, and saying one last goodbye to Matt and to Trent and to Corey, Kyle and I made our way back to the hotel. Kyle and I stayed up for the next hour or so and talked about the trip. He and I went through the refrigerator and the cupboards, pulling out cupcakes and cookies and candy and everything else we bought on that ridiculously indulgent, ridiculously fun trip to Walgreens when we first arrived. We ate as much of it as we could, and by that point, my voice was all but shot. We reminisced about last year's weekend in Nashville for the first ICCC and shared stories about David Montauk. As collectors, we become stewards of the hobby, keeping the history of the collectibles alive. In the same sense, as friends, we keep the memories of those who have passed before us alive as well. Kyle and I took turns recalling some of the highlights of the past few days together. Meeting Timothy Zahn was certainly something neither of us would ever forget. Spending Thursday night at Trent and Corey's place with the rest of our friends and seeing Trent's incredible, varied collection was like its own meet-up. Helping Matt at his booth was, at times, a lot of work, but there was something joyous in it as well, because Matt brings a quiet joy to everything. And having Anthony stay with us for what has become a Friday night tradition made this trip feel more like a family reunion. And to have all of us set up in one room next to each other for room sales was pretty perfect. As my plane touched down in New Jersey Sunday morning, I thought about how fortunate I was to have been able to return to Nashville for the second year in a row, and how each person who had attended did so with the hopes of finding something, meeting someone, or being a part of something larger than themselves. An ICCC wasn't some monstrous, faceless convention. It was started by our friend Mike, It was hours in the way that Comic-Con must have felt to people in those early years. And the success of the weekend depended on what each of us put into it by being there, and whether we helped to make it memorable for the people around us. I don't know if Kyle felt this way, but going into this trip, I had very high hopes for it. After all, last year's Nashville trip was one of the best weekends I could remember. And raised expectations can be a dangerous thing, because they can lead to disappointment pretty easily. But the secret is not the things you do. It's simply who you're with when you do them. And I couldn't have asked for better company for the second annual ICCC weekend in Nashville.